This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Yo, what's up? Welcome to the podcast today. Uh, Cedric, how are you, man? It's a... We got a little bit of snow and ice and sleet and rain. Yeah, my um, my daughter was very disappointed. She was expecting to be able to go outside and play in the rain. and I mean, not the rain, the snow. It's <laughs> <That's pretty much> rain because <laughs> that's pretty much all yeah, it did in our neck of the woods. Yeah. It's just nothing but a sloppy, slushy mess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Same for us, like, you know, the snow, like last year, I guess it snowed um you know february january february mm-hmm. or something and mike went out and it was cool to see his face and so we were hoping for a little more than the dust we yeah. got but uh yeah. it is what it is yeah. and so i mean everything still shut down i use it as out. an excuse <laughs> to well actually my wife and daughter they're in they're like they the only school oh man that had school today i was certain they were going to get a pass no i mean i drove her to drove them to school this morning just in case the roads were bad yeah the roads were totally fine yeah i was man. doing my usual you know 50 and a 45 yeah I, you know it was it was perfectly fine but yeah. you know again i've been in this area 14 years i'm not gonna start uh slaying southern you know culture of how they handle <laughs> you know snow because they can barely drive in rain so yeah you know, man. better safe than sorry plus yeah. not to mention the fact not to get all super serious but I, mean, I don't know if you heard the news there's somebody not far from here Matthews, yeah. yep yeah. that yeah. tree fell on the car yeah. and somebody was killed so yeah yeah you know that's why you know i, I don't want to make light right yeah yeah i'm with you i'm with you and i, I joke about it um we had a concert saturday and um and my uh keyboard setup like f- freaked out and like shut down and so you know they were like tell us some jokes i was like uh, what's the biggest joke in Charlotte or something like that? <laughs> or, uh, or I said, what do you call snow in Charlotte? And everybody's like, what? I said a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I definitely regret saying that because that was the same night somebody was killed. So, yeah. uh, I definitely apologize for that. And our, uh, condolences go out to the family. So, Hi, absolutely. Um, but this also, you know, led me to this podcast conversation and, um, just, I mean, let's just set the stage. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, it'll be called, you know, the sunken place, the lost black identity. Um, and, and, and obviously Cedric and I are on this journey together of, um, trying to, you know, establish roots of, and, and I guess for me, accept mm-hmm. who I am and, and just not be ashamed of that. Um, and to some people that may be, you know, quote unquote, the white black guy. And then to some other people that might be the two black, uh, black guy, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so, uh, so we're, we're pretty much just saying, you know what, like if for me, if people are going to put us on an island, well, Let's build a house. <laughs> Let's build a house big enough to invite everybody in. So, uh, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I had this idea because um, you know I was just thinking about you know over over really the last I would say the last um, probably decade of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed you know once I moved schools in middle school and high school, and I went from a you know majority black community to probably more. Uh, white mm-hmm. community and influence and and so i become I, I became aware of certain things i started to um really appreciate things that a lot of my white friends found value in and, and mm-hmm. love you know southern rock being one and and so for me understanding like my gospel roots and you know the bluesy nature um you know i, I began to love southern rock music because of the blues influence there right. and, and seeing the soulful uh and the cross cross-pollination i guess yeah um and so i began to see the world through this lens of we're all somewhat related um and and there's uh, there's some level of overlap that Mm -hmm. takes place and um um, but recently you know i you know i had a conversation with a friend and and basically the statement was made like uh, and it was from a black guy you know man sometimes i forget you're black 
or I forget that you're black. And I and I may I, I think I said something, um, mm-hmm. I guess culturally speaking or something. But it was you know to the extent of I forget that you you are black. So my first question is: Was he saying that as a mere observation? Was he saying that as um, a critique, or was he just joking around? I think. Uh, the it would be D all of the above. <laughs> uh, you know, you know what I'm saying because I think you know, and, and I've been trying to process this because mm-hmm. it, it really, it really began to eat at me okay. a good bit, like right. to the point like the other night, I was in bed and it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I was like, man, that pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Like, like who does he think he is to? like try to strip away my black identity right because i don't i enjoy other things or i speak a certain way yeah or i associate in a multicultural setting mm-hmm. and so um and i had to default to ignorance and i had to also um ignorance on his part and yeah. i had to i had to also look at it from the lens like there may be an insecurity there Mm -hmm. because of who i am what i have you know the opportunities that i'm afforded and and so uh and and, you know and i think people who think like that because that that statement's been made by a lot of my black friends Mm -hmm. um not as direct but you know things such as um uh or or you're rich now you know you got sanchez has money you know or you know, or what is it, uh, you know, because you have these opportunities, you're opening your business. Uh-huh. Oh, it must be nice to be married to a white woman or something like that. Uh-huh. And I'm like, huh, my wife has nothing to do with this. Right. You know, but on the flip side, I can't, you know, where where most, I feel like most of my white friends' responses, responses would be, no, man, I worked hard for this. And I couldn't go there because I know that I wouldn't have my business if it weren't for my brother-in-law and us partnering together, mm-hmm. which okay. is a part of me inheriting uh, and benefiting from white privilege. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but, but again, I was able to make that assessment real quick because of my education and, yeah. you know, work on this. But, um, but it has been like a lot of like passive aggressive stabs about, being black, being married to a white woman, mm-hmm. there are a lot of assumptions that because of how I speak and communicate and um, how I'm like, like black people and Latino people love me and are comfortable with me, but also white people. Um, there's this assumption um, because of my association with rich white people that I grew up in the suburbs. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not my story at all. Like, I'm a product of being gentrified. I'm a product of mm-hmm. my parents being disability. I'm a product of, you know, growing up on food stamps and, you know, eating, you know, tomato sandwiches. And, you know, if I didn't like tomatoes, I would just eat a mayo sandwich or something, right. you know. And, okay. you know, and, and that's not degrading and saying that that's all of black culture, but that was my story. I was the kid that um, went to an inner city school mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, educationally, I, I learned in an unconventional way that was counter to, um, you know, everybody else that would do really well. So, um, so you know, for me, it was a uh, for me. I, I would say it triggered something, and and I guess that's what today's podcast is about <laughs> uh, to pro- you know to process a little bit of this you know with you guys. And again, this this is called token confessions for a reason because. We do want to shed light to some of these tensions and um, in real time. In real time, and and I do think there is, you know, I know we may it may seem like we hit white people hard, um, but on the flip side, you know, with you know some of my black people, you know, my black friends, um, I don't I don't think there is. Um, I can't actually I can't say there's not an awareness. Mm-hmm. I think there's intention, you know, and it's it's one of those. Uh, for generally speaking, for some of my friends, it's the crab mentality. Mm-hmm. Only a few are allowed out, and if you're if you're getting out, we're gonna pull you back in. You know what I'm saying? Or we're gonna where you going? You, we're gonna give you hell. Where about you think it. you going? You right, stay right, here with right, us. Right, right. We're gonna figure out a way to make you low, and, and you know, or critique you, and not mm-hmm. support you. Um, but heaven forbid, like something great happens, and you know, like that's why, like I'm in a place where. Um, 
I used to share like what was going on and opportunities and try to and with a pure heart try to invite people into that because I know and how mm-hmm. I live my gifts are not just for me my resources are not just for me and my relationships and connections are not just for me and I know that there are a lot of people out there that have benefited from me connecting them relationally with other people um, but I'm really feeling this tension of being walked on and just mm-hmm. becoming a doormat for right. people um, and an object for people to use um, to gain leverage and move on. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never, <laughs> I've never in my life had oh, an man. experience yeah. where other black people accuse me of being an Oreo or oh. a sellout right. or you know not really black a white black guy i've never oh man i've never heard that i'm the realest of the real the blackest of the black you know i make i make black look 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 illuminescent right yeah and of course i'm being extremely extremely sarcastic sarcastic we have to do that so we don't (laughs) get pissed off about it right but Uh, yeah yeah i mean as you know my story is is I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly white. I grew up in a <clears throat> going to a church. Um, when when I was six years old, we landed at Ypsilanti Free Methodist Church. Prior to that, we had been in all black churches, all black gospel churches. Um, and my parents made a decision to leave the church that they were currently going to. Uh, because of some of the lack of accountability for the senior pastor, uh, the, anything he said goes right. kind of environment and culture and the lack of uh, discipleship for you know, myself and my sisters. They want to go to a church where uh, scripture was taught that there was an accountability structure um, in place to keep the leadership accountable um, that actually function because hey, sometimes there's like elder boards, right. which is what it usually would be, that are just a bunch of yes men. Yes so they men. really don't, yeah. you know, keep the senior yeah. pastor accountable. But that's 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 what they desired in a you know, place where my sisters and I could get discipled. And we ended up at this church, Ypsilanti Free Methodist Church, where we were the only ones. Mm. And for 25 years, members of our family. Uh, attended that church Mm -hmm. my parents served on the elder board my mom even served on the regional meg board for the southeastern uh, conference for the free methodist denomination and it was us and the alexanders and then there was one other interracial uh family the jacksons that uh are that that attended there for 25 years and you know, my my dad and I had a conversation uh, when I was an adult. I had already left to move down here, and I was just um, he was sharing with me how so many of their friends to this day don't understand how they could go to a place where they're the only ones, and there is there is suspicion about oh they must think they're better than the rest of us and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, growing up for me. I used to tell my kids in youth group, I, I'm black, but mm-hmm. I wasn't black enough for the black kids. Mm. And I played baseball, but I wasn't a jock. Mm. I had all advanced placement classes, but I wasn't a nerd. Um, I had, I was one of the best art students in my school, but mm-hmm. I wasn't one of the artsy fartsy kids that no one understood me. There is simply no place where I fit in neatly so as in terms of like that whole idea of the sunken place being a place where you either do not have your your own rights or you're not aware of your own rights or your value or and which was to more my experience over the course of my life society doesn't let me live in that kind of way where i'm aware of my rights where i'm aware of my value or it'll deny it despite my own grasping for my identity and value like right. i have i have lived in that place <laughs> yeah, man. for a long long time yeah and i always say i don't i honestly don't know what to do with it you mm-hmm. know um because it's like in one sense um it's 
it's it's all or nothing, right? Like, and the way I feel like society is wired, the way I feel like, um, whether it's American culture, whether it's even theologically, um, like you are to mm-hmm. pick a compartment and you stay with your side. Yep. There, there's if you're if you're trying to be in the middle. Then we guess what we're gonna we're gonna outcast you to something, right? Or, or some, we're gonna put you somewhere in a different place. And behind that is people's inability to know what to do with you if you don't fit in one of these nice neat boxes right. and categories that they've created because right. you're messing with their system. Right, right. Which highlights the sense of or the need for control mm-hmm. um, and to be able to um, label and, and categorize you. You mm-hmm. know, like you know, I love when people ask me my personality um tests or, or my my myers briggs and i say well it depends on the crowd i'm an entp or i'm an infj mm-hmm. and i said and i'm split down the middle and so people don't know what to do with that mm-hmm. and and so because I, I essentially meet all of those i check all of those boxes and you right. know and then from a, a theological perspective um i i know the gaps i see the gaps I, I know i know the beauty you know the beautiful elements of theology whether it's Catholicism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Christianity, evangelicalism, uh, you know, you know, black theology, liberation theology, or whatever, Methodist, Presbyterian, mm-hmm. everything. And so, because I know that stuff, I, I'm really, um, instead of people seeing that as a, um, I would say as a, a unique and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details valuable Mm -hmm. uh trait um i think their insecurity rises up and they see it as a huge threat going back to our last podcast of the four of us in this one room Mm -hmm. who come from different places have lived we grew up in four different states right Mm -hmm. and have all been labeled divisive and the common thread is that we are able to understand all sides mm-hmm. and we've educated ourselves deeply into those things we didn't just you know because it's really easy to go to school especially from a spiritual perspective mm-hmm. and say you know i'm going to a um methodist school or an evangelical seminary or whatever and say that this is what i'm going to learn to affirm what i already believe and right. then the the arguments and the objections i'm just going to see or learn the bad things about that mm-hmm. and then that way i know why i, I don't agree with this party and so um but back to the story and everything i i really it it was really eating eating at me Mm -hmm. um and then on the uh, another story is you know i was working with some uh guys and um anytime i and these are white guys anytime i bring something to the table uh or i bring recommendations is that it's almost as if uh there are a lot of questions about who I am bringing to the table and why, right. or a lot of my ideas seem to be um, displaced. And I think it goes back to what David said last week of there's this um, transcendent um, power and authority that comes with whiteness mm-hmm. that is so, um, yeah, I, I, I would say un- unrealized. Like people just don't realize it. Yeah, and so. Um, because it's not always exercised in a malicious manner where right. it recognizes what it's what it's doing. Right, right, right. And so, so folks, this is the these are some of the tensions. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you? I mean, you know, 
what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think, again, we are processing it. Right. For me, you, you probably are, you've thought about this probably a, a little bit more than uh, I have. Yeah, um, <laughs> big time. For me, I, I, I have thought about it, uh-huh. um, but to recently be reminded that mm-hmm. I am not black enough when right. I sit here and advocate and speak on behalf of of black culture mm-hmm. to try to make it to where we are able to have a voice and not to mention that here in Charlotte me being a black person in the even you know the evangelical church mm-hmm. from a music perspective I was one of the pioneers to open the door for so many of my black friends to be able to work in predominantly white churches right. and better themselves and their right. families, you know. Uh-huh. And so it's almost like a slap in the face and a, you know, I don't want to say I feel disrespected and I don't want to say that I'm I'm really like angry or pissed off about it, but it's almost like there's this grief. Yeah. Um for just simply feeling unappreciated for everything that I've done. Right. For black, white, and right. Latino, or people in general, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, that's... So this may be my counseling session. <laughs> it, it might be. It might be. <laughs> yeah. I'll, and, and obviously, I'll, send you, I'll send you the bill afterwards. Right, but, <laughs> and, you know, and, and here's, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I know the right answers. I know the psychology. I know the theology. I know the right answers. Mm-hmm. But again, a part of this podcast being token confessions is to be able to just speak about how you feel in the moment, regardless of, you know, what you know. Like for me, I know the right answers in my mind and I'm not going to act maliciously or or irresponsibly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for us, we are wanting to be transparent about some of our our, feelings. the tensions that we face. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first thing I want to, you know, ask Cedric, and maybe this will help us as we navigate. Um, do you feel as though, um, speaking to uh, you being married to a white woman and who's mm-hmm. Scottish, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, for the sake of this conversation, she's white. Mm-hmm. And the perspective and the views of, you know, or prejudices that have been, you know, used, you know, like abused and yeah um you know it's 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 hard to say because um i have my entire married life and our dating life been in community where like for the most part i'm the only one Hmm. there just isn't a ton of black people that I am in proximity to and have regular interaction with to then receive that kind of uh, critique and criticism. Right. Uh, I experience it most like there was one time we were in uh, Savannah for a wedding and we're in Target. Mind our own business, just going to get a few things that we we needed. Um, and there's these two black girls who <clears throat> walk by and the whole time as we're walking towards them and they're walking towards us for, you know, pass each other by in a, in a target, mm-hmm. they are giving us the stank eye. Of course. Right. Not trying to hide it one bit. And they basically remarked loud enough for me to hear, make sure that I could hear about how, who 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 must I think I am walking around here holding hands with this white woman? Da, 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 da. Now there's a part of me that understands some of the history of where that right. sentiment comes from. Right. That oftentimes the only men that have been available to black women is other black men. So to them, every black man that's quote unquote taken off the market is one less man that they have available to them because typically men from other ethnicities don't even necessarily find them attractive or or you know find them appealing or engaging them uh, in that kind of way which is a systemic issue right and we'll save that for another podcast right but for me it 
took a lot of self-control not to snap back at them and say, you know, what's funny is when I was in high school, you were the same kind of girls that wouldn't give me the time of day because I was not black enough. Right. So you going to critique me for being with a white woman when God forbid she was actually interested in me for me. She wasn't caught in the jungle fever. She wasn't, you know, taking a walk on the, on the dark side. Right. Like she was genuinely interested in me as a person. And I was genuinely interested in her as a person yet you know i remember my mom one time saying to me you know you know i you know all for you know loving everybody and being for everybody but she was just observing how most of the friends that i had in particular female friends were white and i think that my mom was seeing it through this lens of if i was my son's age he would not hang out with me. He wouldn't give me the time of day. Right. She saw what she perceived as maybe, possibly, I had a bias against black girls and a preference for white girls that would even cause me, if we were the same age, to not even really pay attention to her. And I said, Mom, like, I, I called it what it is. This is, I feel like you perceiving it this way. And here's the reality it's not that. I don't I'm not interested in black girls or don't want to give black girls the time of day. They don't they're not interested in me. Right. I'm not I'm not quote unquote black enough for them. And I said, and part of that is because you have raised me in such a way, and I'm not ungrateful at all, but this is just the reality. You have raised me in such a way that my identity in Christ comes comes first and foremost. Like everything is brought through that lens of seeing my identity in Christ. Yeah, man, I had that very same thing happen to me in college where there was, you know, um, I didn't date a ton. Um, there were a few girls, you know, I talked to and, but there were only a couple of girls that I was like really like serious about. Like, mm-hmm. and one was a black girl and she was always a good friend, but she always dated, you know, black guys who, you know, were, you know, one was a teammate and, you know, whatnot. And, uh, I never could you know, it, it was this uh, man, like, you just my homie, man. I can kick it with you, mm-hmm. but I can't date you. Right. Because of, I, again, let's call it what it is. You, you're not black enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that really, yeah, that really got to me. And yeah. then, you know, years later, after I'm married, it was, hey, you know, uh, my boyfriend's hated you because we always had this issue with her boyfriends. I was like, yo, I'm not trying to be with her. Like, mm-hmm. we're just friends. We do music. And, yeah. You know, long story short. I got this message um, on Facebook about a year or so after I was married, and it was kind of like, you know, I was in love with you, yeah, yeah, all this, this, and this. It's like, man, like... Great timing. Great, great timing, you know? <laughs> and, you know, she was one that she also felt that tension of uh, she she can fit in both sides, you know? Mm-hmm. and But she was deeply connected to the black community, as was, you know, as was I. And, and But, again, I, I think it's a... Um, I I think again, you know, I was talking to a mentor the other week, you know, and he was talking about just being in America and how everyone's skeptical of each other mm-hmm. and people don't know who to trust. And yeah. in the black community, they're just it's just it only takes one time to be burned by a white person, you know, at this point, and, and then the trust is gone. Mm-hmm. And so there's this feeling of I I, I just don't trust white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of black friends I have that love white people and, and, you know, hang out with them and work for them and with them, they still don't trust them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I resonate with your example and, yeah, and I, and, you know, but now that I'm thinking about it, I, I'm like, I told my wife this, I said, uh, and it's not that I have a bias towards anything, but, you know, I made the statement, like, I hope Micah marries a black woman. Hmm. And, and I don't know why I said that. Huh. And I don't know if it's because I was talking to a friend prior to that about he was he's feeling that same tension you and I just talked about. Okay. Of uh like black girls that he's close to and connected to feel as though 
he's going to date a white woman. And so they're constantly saying, do not date a white girl. Do not date a white girl. <laughs> like, this is how black women are treated. And they're strong, intelligent, mm-hmm. and beautiful black women. Oh, you yeah. know, And so... Um, but so you, you, I think I just impulsively said, well, I hope Micah marries a black woman, but I don't, honestly, I, now that I'm, you know, all that to say is that was an emotional statement, but I really don't care. I'm not, right. gonna, I'm not gonna raise my son to, um, not want to, or, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do my best yeah. to not raise him with a bias, you right. know, despite his mom being white, mm-hmm. you know? And so if he wants to date somebody that reflects his mother, that's totally fine. Yeah. And if he doesn't. kind of typical. Right. And if he, and if <laughs> And if he doesn't, that's totally okay because his father didn't. Right. And so, you know, I, again, this isn't me being colorblind and saying, you know, well, uh-huh. I don't see color, Micah. You know, date who you marry, who you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I will speak truth to the identity of all people, yeah. you know, so. See, it, it's interesting because um, eventually – you know, my mom had a conversation with me where she's like, you know what? I just want you to marry a woman who loves, who loves Christ. Right. Like ultimately that's, that's what matters. I really don't care. But like I had, I, I can vividly remember sitting w- in the car with one of my cousins and my aunt. And it was one of those conversations where she was talking to him but I knew the message was for me. Yeah, that's that. Uh, and she, yeah. she was basically telling him in words you cannot mince that he bet not ever bring no white girl home. Yeah. Right? And it all came down to, again, that yeah. whole idea that you can't trust white yeah. people. Right. Yeah. And that was as a teenager. So here's the, here's the, you know, fast forward a few years later. I don't know how many years later. Because uh, I was a teenager then, so my sisters were almost in their 20s. But uh, my sister, Deshaun, she's been married now uh, 18 years, and her her husband is white. And um, I remember her saying, when I got engaged to Emma, how easy I had it. That yeah. they were basically the trailblazers in the yeah. family. Because she yeah. said, more than one of our aunts, when she got engaged to Jason, said, Deshaun, are you sure you know what you're doing? No, Deshaun, are you sure yeah, you know what yeah. you're doing? Yeah. Fast forward seven years after that, I'm engaged to Emma, and I bring her to Michigan to meet my extended family for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, hey, welcome to the family, right? right? Yeah, it, it only yeah. took that one yeah, yeah. for them to move forward. And just yeah. by the time... You know, I brought Emma to the family. It was nothing but embrace yeah. and love. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's fascinating because again, I mean, I, I remember being at at school at Spring Arbor University. I transferred in in January, and I had uh, they put me in the apartments. There's three guys already there. One of whom was uh, black. Shout out to Ed, and. Uh, <laughs> Ed, who was at that point where he was about to graduate and he was just done, he wasn't socializing. And like my presence gave him a new energy to re-engage his yeah. last semester. So he he took me over to Dining Commons, introduced me to some folks. And naturally, at a school of eleven hundred people, where only forty are black, right. like he introduced me to a lot of the other black students there. And there, even in the dining halls, there there was some tables that that's where most of the black kids yeah. sat. Right. Yeah. Um. So two weeks later. I've been there two weeks. I've met people in my classes, people in my department, people from doing intramural rec stuff, whatever. Now I have this base of relationship. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In, in developing friendships that goes beyond just those initial folks that I met right. at the, the quote unquote black table. And so now I'm starting to hang out with basically anyone who I'm in the process of getting to know and form relationships, which at that school is a lot. a lot of the white kids yeah. as well. And yeah. I remember one of the guys calling me out, one of the black guys, um, saying, you know, when when you came, you sat with us at the at the table for two weeks, but then after that, you were all hanging out with all the white folks, and yeah, I thought man. of you as just being a, a Uncle Tom, a sellout. Yeah, man. And he says, but, and he was basically coming to me to apologize. He said, I had you all wrong, and God's right. really convicted me of it. I see now that you were just being cool with the people who are cool with you, right. and you were embracing, accepting the people that embrace yeah. and accept you. And so, like, that's the that's the movement that you would hope um, to see. But here here's the downside, again, of the history of segregation. Like, segregation was born out of a resistance to desegregation. And that resistance came from white America. And this is one of the things, the legacy that yeah. white America needs to reconcile when they don't understand why so many in the black community, in particular those who do not have close pr- proximity right. outside of the workplace right. with white White people still don't trust white people. It's not racism. They do not think they are superior, inherently superior to white people. If anything, they are resentful of the systems that keep white people in power, oftentimes uh, unconscious to the power that they wield, but that they still experience. And therefore, there is resentment, deep resentment. And deep, deep, deep lack of trust. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, I'm glad you did it. But we're going to shift gears to the the realities of, I feel as though I painted the realities and tensions of the black sunken place. Right. But so, but can, can I dive into <laughs> the, ahead, the history ahead. a yeah, little bit more just so people understand? Because this is something that I even had to think about while I was wrestling with these things and just continuing yeah. to move deeper into really seeing my identity and being mm-hmm. the one to determine who I am. That's the reason why the movie Moonlight hit me so stinking hard. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved that movie because, you know, the 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 whole movie is based on the line that Mahershala Ali says, his character says um, to, to Little of you have to decide who mm-hmm. you are. People are going to try to tell you who you are. And the whole movement of the movie is him struggling with who other people say he is and trying to figure out who he really is. And yet he is constantly succumbing to what other people say about right. him, whether it be about his sexuality or what have you of his mother having these drug issues and not loving him. Right. Um, and even though my experience is completely different than this fictional character, like it resonated with me because it took me back to yeah. my adolescence. Yeah. All that being said, so here's kind of the history that people need to understand, right? Now think back to a lot of the movies around the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I remember watching some of that black and white video, you know, people marching, uh, people getting, you know, hosed down by, you know, right. the fire department or the police having the dogs sick yeah. on them. And I noticed something in a way that I hadn't noticed it prior. Mm-hmm. I noticed that in these videos, all of the black people in the videos are dressed just like all the white people. Right. right? Because part of what you and I bump up against Mm -hmm. is that we don't uh, 
we don't symbolize or represent all of these things that have been used to define what it means to be black, which is oftentimes expressed in the way we carry ourselves, in the way we talk, right. and literally at times the way we dress. Right. So I would get you know, grief because, you know, oh, I wore my my clothes fitting. I didn't wear them baggy. I didn't wear my pants yeah. off my butt. Like that was one of the yeah. things where it's like, oh, he he's an Oreo, right? Right. But here's the thing. In the in the sixties, as late as the mid sixties, yeah. like black culture for all intents and purposes did not appear all that different from white culture, at least as in terms of wardrobe. Right. And if you wind the clock back even further, you go to basically slavery's ended. Mm-hmm. And the thought of the day, and part of the reason why the abolition of slavery, slavery was resisted in the first place was this belief that black people were too uh, inferior to be able to manage themselves right. and to better themselves. Right. And the reality is this. After centuries of being treated like beasts, of literally being bred, right, where our our families are broken up, yep. where young children are immediately separated from their fathers or yep. their mother beyond nursing, like yep. we're bred like animals. Overnight, black people started to better themselves, even in the midst of the lynching era and the beginning of Jim Crow era yeah. and and um, work prison work release programs, right? Where basically the loophole to the 13th Amendment of the only time you right. can really enslave someone is if they're a prisoner to the state because they've committed a crime. Yeah. All that being said, you see these black communities come up, you see blacks starting to move into politics, and there is this resistance to it mm-hmm. in the lynching era. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the battleground for our civility and our rights was fought in the education system. Yeah. So many people think it all began with Rosa Parks wanting to, you know, yeah. not refusing to give up her seat when we had already been fighting for equal education for right. almost 20 years. Right. So we do all that. Martin Luther King Jr. comes on the scene, right? And he, at the time, represented the best of us. Right. Well, to some people. To some people, <laughs> right? But, like, again, whether it's him, whether it's Malcolm X, whether it's uh, Megger Evers, notice they are always in a suit and tie. They always mm-hmm. have a nice hat on. They yeah. always have a nice coat on, yeah. right? They... As in terms of the way that black people presented themselves, it was almost no different than the majority of white America. Yeah, yeah. And King gets shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And that was after Evers had already been killed and mm-hmm. Malcolm X had been killed. Mm-hmm. Like, we see this huge shift in the late 60s that basically is the black America saying, we have tried to assimilate. And we have tried to be accepted and embraced into the majority culture. Right. And it has shown that even if we do that, we will still not be accepted. We still will gun you down. Right. right. And so a lot of the quote unquote black culture that came to define what it meant to be black for the next 40 years mm-hmm. was shaped out of that grief of not being accepted yeah. and saying okay if you're not going to accept us fine we're going to go and do our own thing, own thing and we're going to have almost this counterculture of yeah. what it means to be black and it's no irony that it's right on the heels of the civil rights movement right that black exploitation films start to jump up. Yeah, and I don't think that's coincidence. And, no, and, not at all. And I, and I think again, what you're describing now, uh, where it comes to being black in the black sunken place. Yes, is when you um, are in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Because again, going back to my whole statement about picking and choosing a side or refusing to do so. You have now been outcast. You know, mm-hmm. it goes back to again. We need to review Black Klansmen, but the scene when I you bought know, it, it's it's on its way. I've got it on. I found uh, a uh, lost birthday uh, gift card. Ah, uh, that's clutch. Like I don't know how old it was, <laughs> but just just came across it. That's so clutch. Got that in Mission Impossible Six. Oh, Mission Impossible is great. Uh, I watched it last night. Um, <laughs> side note. Um, but you know the scene when they're walking in the in the park, and you know he's talking about you know maybe there's a cop that can fix it from the inside, mm-hmm. and she's like, no, no way. And I feel like 
how quick she wrote him off. Yes. Was like is exactly what I feel like the experience is mm. for people like you and I who yep. are trying to whether it's by passion, whether it's by privilege that we've inherited to resources and understanding and knowing how to find accurate sources mm-hmm. and material. Um, not saying black people don't that don't don't mishear me, but um, we have what I'm trying to say is we have the time and the privilege to do so because mm-hmm. our lives we don't we aren't working three jobs you know like my sisters are right. so like it, it becomes. Where was I going? I lost it. But anyways, the black sunken place. Well, for me, that's my that's my uh, assessment of being yeah. in the black sunken place of trying to be a bridge to not quote unquote fix it from the inside with that mentality, mm-hmm. but to call um, to call things what they are. You know, on both sides, right? You know, so. but isn't there a part when we start to do that? But we're present ourselves the way that we're presented and you have black people who still have not started to think about what it means to be black as their connection connection ancestrally to the history of black oppression of the Uh african diaspora in america and instead they connect it to uh black american subculture movies music like right. their their rejection of folks like us and we haven't gotten to talking about this yet but it leads to movements like you have today of blexit and yep. people like yep. candace owens and yep. the things that kanye west says where yep. you know yep. and then his defense is well i'm thinking freely because he's not thinking like the rest of this quote-unquote group, group which yep. you know in reality he's not I mean, yeah, he's thinking freely, but again, it doesn't mean just because you're thinking freely means that you're right. When especially it comes to things that are, you know, about come down to just pure history. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to history and everything. And, you know, because history provides the lens and the landscape for us to understand why these things exist. Mm -hmm. You know, because even going to today, when you're talking about how back in the day, you know, when black people were trying to dress like white people. I mean, it's still happening. Like, how many hipsters do you see? Like, you know, let's just use the hipster population, right? (laughs) You got, like, good, like, you know, goodwill and, you know, thrift shopping and, Mm -hmm. you know, what some would consider hobo looking is cool. But it's also in the black community as well. Mm-hmm. The difference is we might be rocking J's instead of, you know, <laughs> Vans and, you know, Converse's. But mm-hmm. it's like there's still this, like, there's this parallel that I'm seeing. You know, yeah. even, you know what I'm saying? Like, even like when you see a lot of black communicators in white spaces, you know, they're still rocking their button downs and their dockers and their khakis and, you mm-hmm. know, Patagonia, whatever. So, um, but for me, getting out of the black sunken place, I want to say that I have hope in it. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. Hmm. Now, I'm just speaking directly emotionally yeah, yeah, as I yeah. process. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, I don't live in that state because I don't allow what people think to or think of me or what they perceive that's not based on truth and reality. I don't allow that to define me. But um, for some of my friends who feel that tension of... I'm never going to be black enough. No matter what I do, no matter how hard, how hard I fight, yeah. I'm never going to be accepted by my own people. Yeah. It's kind of like when your family rejects you. <laughs> you you know you know what I'm saying? Like it, I can take a white person hating me and rejecting me and yeah. and all this stuff, but when it's your own people. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've had so many different experiences with that, and I think some yeah. of this just comes with age and maturity. Because you know, I've had other experiences where, um, because um, I just am who I am, and I don't I don't have all this baggage, or I didn't have all this baggage, yeah. Yeah. right? And by baggage, what what do I mean? Um, by the time I was in my early 20s, there were black women who were more than willing to give me the time of day because I didn't have any baby mamas. Right. I didn't have, you know, any, you know, random children out there. Um, I wasn't into trouble. Uh, you know, they just wanted a man who was 
drama free right. who respected him so like a lot of the same things that got me deemed not black enough or not hard enough in high school were the very things that by the time some of these women grew up and matured yeah um made me appealing to them mm -hmm. so i think some of it comes down to just growing up and maturing yeah and i know that i am like all over the place today like my which is, mind is which is fine yeah my mind That's is so, confession my mind is so <laughs> foggy and a part of this i'm, I'm just not slept in like a couple of days so um <laughs> but i want to talk about the white sunken place, you know, briefly, mm -hmm. um, and what that looks like, because there's still this element of not being able to be yourself and not being fully accepted. Okay. That I believe that is, is an issue as well, as we've talked about when it comes to the workplace, when it's, when it comes to, you know, our last podcast of, you know, when I asked David, you know, what are things you can say to white people that we can't, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that I have to even say that, Mm -hmm. um it is bad the fact that we have to give so many disclaimers is bad especially for our, our you know white listeners because of these tensions and this reality mm -hmm. and so i um you know i think some of the rights that i i feel like i used to not be aware of um, that got me into these white spaces was to the ability to think for myself mm -hmm. um, and to communicate on my own behalf and not have my my words communicated to other people okay. you know but so that they would lance off so an example is you know when i was working at a church um i'd have an idea or i'd be praying and god you know you know reveal about um hey if we don't shift certain judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Things around this is going to happen, right? Okay. So, I, you know, I would share that and then... um it would either be shut down mm -hmm. or it would be reinterpreted in a different way, in one of two ways, either in a way that it became the person who communicated what I said, it was their idea, mm -hmm. or it was communicated and used against me in a divisive sense. Right. And Sanchez is being divisive because he's starting these rumors and this, this, and this, you know. <laughs> I was like, well, no, I'm actually just trying to obey the Lord because he's speaking to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to be obedient. But see, that's that's part of the reason why I didn't, in those contexts, I didn't really assert myself. Hmm. Um, looking back, youth ministry was just a safe space to... It, it, not not to say I didn't love and wasn't passionate about youth ministry, because some of what I've already said about me even finding my identity was largely to my youth ministry experience, and that's why I wanted to get involved in youth ministry. What, what I'm trying to say is this. I was always aware of how I was perceived and how some of the things that I did was going to be perceived differently yeah. as, like, arrogant or cocky or... Where someone else, it was just an idea, and they're yeah. being ambitious, and yeah, those were things that, you know, if in the same context, if I was white, it wouldn't be perceived in the same way. And mm -hmm. so, me just wanting to keep the peace, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I kept ideas or different things like that to to myself. Yeah, the irony being is eventually. Um, I was penalized for not yeah. <laughs> being, yeah. being <coughs> excuse me, quote unquote, ambitious enough to which I was like, so if you saw this potential in me, why is no one come alongside me to mentor me? That's one of the things that's yeah, always yeah. mythed me from an evangelical standpoint. I have so many <coughs> friends who, when they sought out a mentor or someone to come alongside them, they never had difficulty or trouble finding someone who wanted to do that. Right. I mean, aside from my youth ministry professor, I don't think I've ever really had someone do that. And there's people that I've literally asked to do that. And 
you know, one of them was like, well, what does that look like? And I'm like, wait a minute. You're the one always talking about multiplication. Right. I shouldn't have to explain to you what that looks like. Yeah. And not to mention that you're like the leader. You're supposed yeah. to be the one. Well, let me ask you Like, this. I wouldn't be asking you well, to mentor me if I knew what it looked like. On the flip side, do you think there are mentors that could and can mentor people like you and I? Yeah, I do. Yeah. If they're willing to be honest with themselves. Right. 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 Even about maybe their own prejudices or stereotypes yeah. that they're op- they operate out of. Yeah. Um, so that way they can check themselves before they operate yeah. out of those things. But yeah. and you I, know, but I I, th- I think it's hard though. It is I, hard. Got, I mean, I, like I said, I, I think I, I think I for the first time in my twenty nine years, I feel like I have you know, one constant mentor that's like like I talk to frequently, mm-hmm. um, and a part of that's because he's not American. Okay, and the, <laughs> the second part of that is because he's not American. Yeah, you know, but he's very, he's very, um, he gets it, and he has an unbiased opinion about it. You know, the the other two, uh, you know, you know, one one guy that I mean, I go to him for just just. Hey, like I need to, I need a mentor when it mm-hmm. comes to fathering. You know, being a great father, and you know the other one. You know, I try to, but it's like this. I, I don't even know if I can call it mentorship. Yeah. You know, because um, again, I think he's playing the game when it comes to racial unity and and mm. and, and being in both worlds. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. So he's interested in coming alongside you so he can get his notch or get 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 the badge for racial reconciliation and, on his and, on his scout sash well, instead of it genuinely being about an interest in you well i think it's a i've got a i want to make sure that i am doing my part in mentoring people so i can check it off because it's a black man you know mm-hmm. um and so, and, and the reason why I ask that question is because I think, I feel as though you and I and our generation will be the first generation of quote unquote tokens who live in both world worlds that will be able to adequately and um, not, yeah, maybe adequately is the right word to mentor the next generation. Right. Since there's going to, you know what I'm saying? Because the, because of the rise of, you know, um, interracial kids and 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 being able to cross over into white and black spaces and well and even just the fact that we reached a point where we weren't going to be silent anymore about yeah. the church's uh, capitulation and in the system of white supremacy mm. right mm-hmm. while still finding community right within white evangelicalism with still desiring to you know work from within the church not only for the sake of the gospel but for also the sake of reconciliation therefore you know the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down like that kind of gospel work not just the disembodied existence you know uh, right gospel work so yeah not that i believe that you know we're all going to be disembodied souls for all of eternity um but you know that's a that's another conversation you know read read revelation new earth new heavens i'm going through right now (laughs) i actually gotta go write a paper on it right now fun Um, fun times yeah so final thoughts for today um i'll start my final thoughts uh this is probably the first time i feel like i've been all over the place in a while okay and i think it's because of the topic Okay. I think it's because of the um, tensions that are that are there. With uh, again going back to the uh, analogy of I can I can be cut by strangers and I'm fine, mm-hmm. but to be cut and and disowned by my own people that that sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, but on the flip side of that, understanding that I can never be myself to my white friends. Mm-hmm. That's a hard reality, yeah. you know, and I think that's why, you know, I started with, you know, we're just going to live on our island and build a house big enough for everybody to come, you know, Mm -hmm. when they're ready, you know, but even that sounds like I'm isolating myself and that's not (laughs) what I'm trying to do, but, um, final words, man, uh, man, this, I hope you guys kind of see the importance of, 
um, really accepting each other. Yeah. And uh, not degrading people because of who they are and what their preferences are. And, mm-hmm. and again, the, the BS that pisses me off the most is that people that speak like, oh, I'm multicultural or, you know, or my church does this, this, and this, right? And, you know, we are about the quote unquote kingdom, but you don't live that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you disown those that are like you and look just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not pissed off at my, you know, black people or anything like that, but. Um, I'm not pissed off at white people, but um, I have to literally walk with the lens of they, you know, uh, what, what does Jesus say? You know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> or, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that. that's kind of like the um, – and I, I don't say that with, you know – you know, false humility, but I, I literally have to pray that like they don't realize what they're doing mm-hmm. because they don't know. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's or maybe they do, mm-hmm. but I'm going to cling to the fact that they don't know because of the lack of appreciation for people like you and I mm-hmm. who are doing a lot of work and trying to um, trying to bring historical context as to why you feel the way you do and why you. Um, why you operate and feel like you have to be quote unquote so black, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so, um, and then on the flip side of that with my white friends, you know, being in the sunken place is, um, again, I'm, I can't fully be myself. You know, I can't be loud and passionate without being ang- called angry and divisive. And, and, you know, we've talked enough about the white sunken place, I believe. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we wanted to give, for me, I wanted to give an honest, you know, perspective of what I encounter from black people. So, you know, you don't think that we're just excusing, you know, black behavior. Well, and, you know, it wouldn't be token confessions if, if we didn't share that perspective side of right. the token experience yeah you know yeah because i've i've told people you know, many times that um i've experienced as much if not more prejudice from other black people yeah as i have from white people yeah what do i mean by that they they made judgments about me about my character uh, what they could expect from me um, based upon what they perceive to be not black enough. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I experience prejudice yeah. uh, from other black folks. And that prejudice often led to not accepting me or not embracing me or feeling like I was, you know, a sellout. You know, they, 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 you know, didn't want me to live that way. Right. You know, they right. wanted me to f- fit neatly in one box or the other, or they had determined that I lived in one of those boxes, and so they wanted nothing to do with me. They wouldn't engage in the sacred act of actually engaging someone and getting to know them. Right. Without all the preconceptions. Yeah. So, I mean, <sighs> my closing thought would be... um, you know we can we can all make a decision about how we see ourselves and we got to become really stubborn about how we see ourselves i'll speak for myself the thing that really helped me is deciding for myself who i am right. and what shapes my identity yeah and there's a number of things that shape my identity which include being a black american which includes being a loyal friend which includes being a lundy which includes being a lundy that you know also has a a legacy of the patillo clan Mm -hmm. and you know also my my being a member of my wife's family Mm -hmm. um being a good friend and but last and and certainly not least or most of all primarily that i am an image bearer of god right so again acknowledging that not everyone in who of our listeners which we're grateful for uh are christians are coming at it from a christian worldview at the end of the day we all have to decide that our not only what our identity is going to be but what's what's our value as well right and 
there's certain things that you can put your identity in where your value is always going to fluctuate. Like if you're if you're you know a basketball player and you put your identity in your ability to play basketball, well, guess what? One day your body's just not going to work the way right, it used exactly. to, and you're not going to be able to play basketball all your life. And then what do you do when you're no longer able to play basketball? Like, do you fall apart because that's what you put your identity in, right. or have you put your identity in something bigger and more meaningful and transcendent? Like right. that's something we all have to do and for me that is christ and i would hope that everyone else would find their identity in christ because if it's true that god really truly loves all of us unconditionally and he's the one who made us then he is the one that gives us our meaning and our purpose and if he is eternal and that means our identity and our value and our worth is eternal eternal and also unchanging that's right and so that's how Personally, I was able to make that move to just really, truly accepting, embracing me and being able to pull myself out of the sunken place. Yeah. And so if you made it through all of my rambling (laughs) and uh, me just being all over the place, um, again, I hope that this leads you to do that with some friends and some people that you are comfortable with and you find safety with and Mm -hmm. so you know again i you know i i i was literally sitting over here i was like i think i'm gonna delete this whole thing (laughs) i was like no no the people need to hear it because um you know i try to be put together and, and thought through and 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 but you know, today I was like, "Hey, like, let's just talk about this and mm-hmm. let's see where it goes." Yeah. Um. And you know, and I said, "I'm, I'm just going to be all over the place because I, I think that that's how processing is done." You know. And again, I, I normally do this inside and, and inwardly, mm-hmm. and not necessarily outwardly because you know I don't want to sound like an idiot. But, um. But again, I, I'm being vulnerable and transparent yeah. in this, and and again, we're just sharing our token confessions. Uh, just publicly. Um, mm-hmm. We hope that, again, that it brings breakthrough, that it leads to conversations um, with people. And so um, if there are some of you listening and you, you wrestle with the same thing, the re- you wrestle with the tensions and you're, you're black male or female and you, you are in this, this island where you feel like you're by yourself, and um, just know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're white and you feel the same thing, or if you're Latino or whatever you are and you feel the same thing, um, just know that you're not alone, and um, you know we we hope that this uh, podcast serves as a um, a source of healing and a resource um, mm-hmm. and a reminder that yeah. you have you have brothers that are going with going through it with you. You're not the only one. Nah, nah. But until next time, uh, subscribe, like, share, and we'll keep you guys posted. We are enjoying this podcast, but we'll catch you guys soon. Word.